Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. So Dan, I want to tell you about a, like a experience I had this week that I'm okay. really frustrated about. Do you want to? Well, actually, right. do you want to hear about it, or do you just like not care? Um, is my character on the podcast supposed to want to hear about it? I, it's is, up to you. You might be ambivalent right now. Just okay. be sort of like a mood where you're like, nah, I don't want to really. Let's just get to work. You know, it could. I'm respecting your space. You know what I mean? All right, Melvin. What do you want to tell me? <laughs> So I went to hang out with a friend of mine yesterday. We're at Starbucks. Cool, okay. whatever. Love it. Get a decaf pour over. It's awesome. Tastes really good when it's pour over because it's fresh and that means it's probably not burnt. Right, right. Sit right. outside and it's nice and sunny, but it's kind of hot if you're in the sun. So we sit in the shade. We're out in the shade talking for about a couple hours. I go home and I have sunburn. Daniel, I have sunburn and I sat in the shade. Where can I go? <laughs> Where can I go to get away from sunburn? What's up with that? Is this like a thing that was there just like an update to the world that just decided, oh, you're in shade, you're gonna get sunburn now? Like, do you know something I don't? Or what's up? Are you trying out like your tight fifteen right now? <laughs> no, this is like a legitimate frustration. What's I've the had. deal? I went with to work. All this yeah, what's sunlight? the deal with physics, baby? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Like, I came home, was mad. Texted my wife, mad. Went to work, mad. Woke up this morning, oh, I have sunburn again, mad. Like, why? I I played Pokemon <sighs> Go this Sunday. It was uh, what is it? Gibble is Gibble or uh? Uh, which Pokemon is it? The, the shark, the land shark. It just looks like a baby with giant teeth. And so anyways, I'm out for four hours walking at a park and I don't get sunburned. It was 98 degrees outside. <laughs> but I go to Starbucks and sit in the freaking shadows and I get sunburned. What's going on, man? Have you ever had sun poisoning? I... When I... I used to do fi- um, fishing. I used to do swimming when I was a kid. And I... I got second degrees burns. Uh, I was out in the sun and then I had the water, you know, the chlorine water on cause as pools do. Um, and I got second degree burns and this is such a disgusting story, but we're here now. I went to a swim meet. Um, 
I, man, thinking about it's so fun because I really miss doing that. But I had like literal secondary degree burns for anyone who doesn't know is like your skin is bubbling. It's gross. Um, and before I dove in, I had bubbles. I finished my lap, got out, and they were gone. It was so bad. So, no, I don't know if I've had sun poisoning, but I've had really, really bad sunburn before, unless that is sun poisoning, but I don't know. No, it's it's kind of a separate thing. Basically, it's like you get rashes and you get like little bumps on your arm, kind of like you have an allergic reaction, but you get like sick, like you get like a fever and nausea and like you literally get sick just from being in sunlight. It's pretty bad. No, I so I don't get that. I'm white, but I'm not like <laughs> albino. So like, it's, I, yeah, it's the kind of like the being sun. a vampire, basically. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't get some poisoning. Um, but I know people who do, and it's like miserable because it's like even if you put sunscreen on, you're in shade, you just get sick. Like you literally, you're allergic to the sun. Essentially, that's how the sun keeps its power. It's <laughs> like stealing a life force. Just like steals life force. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of stealing life force and taking control of people from oh, a distance. Okay. Waiting to see how this transition will work. <laughs> Zingo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about WandaVision several months late, but that's yeah. okay because you've listened to Inside Out episode. And if you haven't, then that's fine. <laughs> it doesn't matter. This is a time capsule podcast for Disney is, Plus content. Yeah, basically, <laughs> we've had time to ruminate on these or at least meditate on WandaVision, maybe yeah, ruminate it's... on Falcon, but <laughs> definitely meditate with WandaVision. So, uh, Dan, why don't you introduce WandaVision for anybody who, all, all six people who don't know what WandaVision was? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure like the pie chart of people that listen to a movie uh, entertainment podcast and don't know what the big new Marvel thing is pretty small. Um, but uh, WandaVision is what's not initially intended to be, but it was the first offering uh, via Disney Plus for new Marvel Cinematic Universe content. Um, what made this different from previous outings, and this is, I'm sure, a topic that'll come up at some point, is that unlike previous Marvel television productions, this was fully under the umbrella of Marvel Studios and not Marvel Entertainment. So Kevin Feige had a much more hands-on approach to this, which he hasn't done since he helped be a producer on uh, Agent Carter. Um, and so while this was initially intended to be, I think, the second or third series to come out with Falcon and Winter Soldier intending to be the debut project, uh, due to the pandemic and the way things switched around, WandaVision ended up being the first uh, glimpse into what this new era of the MCU would be, which I think ended up being very much in the favor of the franchise, as we'll get into in a bit. Uh, but WandaVision details, um, well, there's two things about it. WandaVision is, serves as kind of a sort of direct sequel almost to Avengers Endgame in that we pick up where um, both Scarlet Witch and Vision left off, which if you watch that movie, you know that that in and of itself is kind of weird because Vision very viciously was murdered uh in infinity war twice uh yes actually yeah poor guy um and so we sort of pick up in the first episode we are in 1950s americana uh with heavy influences from the dick van dyke show uh which is funny because i think uh, dick van dyke actually was a creative consultant on the project to make sure that cute yeah all of the gimmicks and things really worked and with almost no context we're led into this weird world where it appears that Scarlet Witch and Vision are living out an idyllic fantasy life together um, via the tropes of uh, American television shows, which uh, in and of itself works really great because it is a very stark contrast to what we've seen from the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far in that this isn't things aren't blowing up. There are not aliens being attacked. We're just seeing two people live in a world that's just off enough where you kind of know that something's going on. And the entire production is just really 
held up by amazing performances from his cast. The breakaway star was, of course, Catherine Hahn, who is just steals the show as their nosy neighbor. But of course, Elizabeth Olsen is amazing as a sitcom mom and wife, uh, no doubt influenced by her uh, being raised in the Olsen family, which is very well known to sitcom fans. And uh, Paul Bettany just is having the time of his life, getting to act out all these different things. Uh, Paul Bettany sort of had a weird career appearing in a lot of lower budget genre pictures. He was in, well, I mean, or I should say playing lower parts in genre films. He was in Da Vinci Code. He was in a movie called Inkheart, playing a villain who's brought to life from a uh, children's book. Uh, but here he gets to really show off some of his more traditional acting chops, and it's great. And so, I mean, going on any further really gets into sort of the meat and potatoes of the show. But that's our premise, and that is where we're at. And it, there is this, there's like multiple mysteries going on, which I always love. The mystery of how Vision is even here, the mystery of what is going on, the vis- the mystery as to what all these other elements we see glimpses of. Occasionally, we'll see someone watching from the outside or someone would try to send a distress signal into this reality we're looking at. Um, so overall, it's a really intriguing package that we're uh, given as far as the show goes. It's J.J. Abrams' favorite Marvel movie. <laughs> He's just like, oh, man, what's in the box? Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as low as $3 a month, you can gain access to exclusive content like The Pre-Show, which features free-form and Christian-friendly discussions on all kinds of topics, as well as influence the podcast. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Previous movies our lovely Patreon supporters have chosen are To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Hamilton, Onward, and American Gospel Christ Alone. Huh, you guys have good taste. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. So what'd you think about it? What'd you, what'd you think about WandaVision? So, I mean, they're... So just saying what how I feel about it, putting aside any other reactions from it. Um, I had the unique experience of watching this uh, alongside with my wife, who just immediately she was kind of put off by the entire thing um, because she just... She just um, she just didn't connect with the same way I did. Now, I, I grew up watching TV land. I grew up watching television with my grandparents who um, a lot of Christian kids have this experience where they were only allowed to watch older sitcoms growing up because those were wholesome. So I watched a ton of Andy Griffith's show. 
I watched a ton of Green Acres and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, I wasn't allowed to watch Bewitched or I Dream of Genie because those had magic in it. Um, and then my grandparents only watched them in secret. <laughs> Part of it is I, I was in on the joke from the beginning. I kind of knew this is what they were doing where we get to see Wanda's um, reality alt- warping powers, but they wisely decided to actually use that within the medium they're working in. So as opposed to something like House of M, where we see that she creates this idyllic world where all of the different Marvel characters have different roles and stuff, she actually plays around with the tropes and genre of television. And that, to me, immediately connected with me as somebody who's both a retro TV nerd and somebody who just, this is my thing. You know, I'm, I'm a nerd guy who has a movie podcast. Of course, I'm going to love things like, ooh, they're using practical effects. They're moving things on string instead of CGI. Uh, so that stuff all immediately just immediately worked for me. And then the slow unveiling of what is really going on, I found to be incredibly emotionally satisfying. Um, I love tragic, doomed to fail from the beginning characters. And so from the moment you see this couple having the time of their lives, they're living the life they always dreamed of together. You just know they're headed for tragedy and disaster. And you're <laughs> yeah, just yeah. waiting for that to fall, which is one of the things that my wife really enjoyed. She was like, I can't wait to see the sadness come in. That's what she said, um, which <laughs> that's, great. Uh, that's why I love her. Um, and so by the end of it, not to get into spoilers too soon, but by the end of it, the end resolution of what happens to these characters, I just, it just really worked. It, like the, the gut punches we got in the end. And I found myself actually, because for those who don't know, the, the gimmick is each episode takes place a different decade of television. And so the 60s and the 70s, they start adding color. And the thing that really worked for me is when they went in the 90s, they did a whole Malcolm in the Middle homage, which I loved that show. That was fun. Um, yeah. And then they did the, a modern family thing with talking heads which was great, which actually I think aired on like the anniversary of um, Modern Family airing. So like the lead actress from the show posted on Instagram saying she really loved the episode and she loved Elizabeth Olsen's um, impression of her, essentially. So that stuff always works for me. But as that goes on, they add more and more, for lack of a term, marvel elements. So you realize that S.W.O.R.D., uh, the long-awaited introduction of S.W.O.R.D. into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which they couldn't do for a long time, because technically S.W.O.R.D. was introduced in the X-Men comics. So until they bought Fox, uh, they were allowed to use S.W.O.R.D. Um, okay. Even though they even they even shot a post credit scene for the first Thor movie uh, to invoke Sword, and then they realized they couldn't do it. Um, so like, yeah, you realize Sword is like monitoring her, and then like they send agents in to like to to deal with her, and uh, that stuff I found less interesting. I lo- I just loved watching this like um, this like weird offbeat horror Pleasantville type of thing where you see like an idyllic. Um, uh, Americana suburb slowly get infiltrated by spooky weirdness where Wanda slowly loses the ability to control the reality around her. And you realize that all the other quote unquote actors are people she's mind controlling and they're actually suffering. Um, and she only lets them see their kids when it works for the episode that they're in. Like those <laughs> like deeply disturbing elements and the realization that vision is dead. And this is just her doing something and the, the specifics of how she's doing it are not really that important to the overall story of the telling. And then she even has children in the show, which makes it even more horrible at the end when she has to let go of everything. Um, that stuff all really landed for me. So overall, like this whole thing was one of the most like creatively, it's one of the most inventive and risky things they've done, which people say every time Marvel does anything even remotely different, what a risk, what a risk using comic book characters. We don't know that well, what a risk letting people, actually die for real for once you know but this was legitimately creatively engaging like oh my goodness yeah you know? this was while watching it i sort of thought to myself like how are they getting away with that <laughs> <laughs> like who pitched this so perfectly <laughs> that they could get everything that they wanted into this show right 
it's kind of wild. And like the only other Disney thing I can think of that did that is like Hunchback of Notre Dame <laughs> with Frollo. <laughs> and then most recently uh, I saw Cruella and like, there's a lot of stuff in there where I was like, how did they get their villain to be this evil? <laughs> like how did they, t- how, who, 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 who like, what's the executive who said like, yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> that'll be okay. Yeah. Um, WandaVision just had a lot of that energy of uh, just sort of like, sneaking past almost as though like they were pitched as like this will be your totally normal marvel stuff and then like the director is like oh, i'll just i'll change that in post <laughs> i'll change it to what i want in post <laughs> yeah I, it's so funny. i get this impression that when it comes to what they're willing to risk like for whatever reason disney seems to be very protective of ip more than anything else so i think part of how they were able to get away with it is like they didn't utilize a ton of marvel ip in this where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, like if was it Photon and Agatha Harkness, like if that stuff doesn't land, eh, what, what, whatever. Like they're not messing with Mephisto or Galactus or Nightmare or any of these other bigger characters. Where like if it doesn't work out, they can just sweep it under the rug, like you know mm-hmm. the Inhumans TV show or something. Like ah, eh, whatever, you know. Yeah, like it's it's risky in ways that I found to be so much more thematically, like satisfying than anything like even else. the commercials oh, the like commercials were so funny. putting in, they were so funny and so clever so timely they had good easter eggs that kind of let led you yeah. on as you're continuing through it there's, yeah there's one where like a kid like <laughs> wastes away and oh, dies yeah, yeah that's right like, this is great <laughs> is that the shark one yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right that was in wandavision <laughs> i remember being like what's happening <laughs> uh it's so funny dude yes i liked uh was that also that was the 90s commercial yes. right the one they put in Extreme, there where it's like claymation and yeah it's like a gogurt yeah. commercial or something yeah like classic gogurt stuff yeah what a throwback that was i was alive enough to uh, alive, <laughs> alive in enough. time alive enough i guess i'm alive enough currently but uh alive in time to see those commercials so that was kind of funny to get that throwback um, yeah, I mean, what what do you think of it? Did you you were all like that? Yeah, I, I love WandaVision. Uh, well, just from the second, from the second it started, like you were saying, there's this melancholy to it that just makes it really compelling. Where like you're finally seeing what they want, yeah, and what Wanda wants. And from the first episode, you're like, okay, Wanda has these immense powers and can just change things. So clearly, she's in control, and this is what she wants. But because we know that she can't have it because reality is that vision's gone. There's this really like, I I don't know. It's just like, really, it was just super, super powerful. Um, So like, they're like getting wedding rings and I'm just weeping. I'm like, you'll never have wedding rings. Like, it's so sad. Um, Oh, you're hugging and kissing. Oh, you're jumping decades as though you've been married for decades. And then you're having kids and it's just like, all these wonderful moments that you fantasize about and it's totally okay to fantasize about when you want to, when you're looking forward to these joys in life, but they'll never happen. They just won't. (laughs) And so it's just really strange. And I think that's often what makes film or just storytelling as a, as a form of communication. So fascinating is because sometimes we're reading stories that are fantasies of what we want. And that's why we connect so deeply with them. Um, I found WandaVision to just have a lot of metatextual engagement where if you didn't understand a lot about maybe film history or 
Um, frankly, even a couple episodes, uh, maybe a year ago, you had said something on the podcast regarding cultures and cultural engagement and how like in foreign countries, the image of success was like Dick Van Dyke show, the white man going to work, right, coming yeah. home and his wife's there and this and that. And so that was the idyllic life to f- foreigners, basically, to people not in the U.S., and so like episode two, I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, oh, they're totally doing that for this reason. Like it's just, she's she's from a different country. Um, she's trying to live her idyllic life. They're going to do that. And of course, they do that. Right. <laughs> and so and I thought that was just that created a lot more engagement um, intellectually. I, I just think that there is a lot. There's a lot in the show that's very stimulating in that way. There's a lot of. Um, nods to other things too, and not self nods to comic book nerds, but more like self nods to just people who like, I I don't know, do I guess engage movies or just the world a little more um, with like, by the time you get to the eighties in the show, she's much more in power. And that's around the time that like the feminist movements in like full swing. So it's just really interesting to kind of see how that's going on and in the narrative structure. There's also really good jokes that you just totally miss if you don't know some things. So like, yeah, I mean, I, uh, we'll just do spoilers. I mean, you've yeah. seen it already. Um, like when, when, um, Quicksilver is put in and, um, this the easiest one for everyone to get is he's been recast <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that is kind of funny that they actually just legitimately recast him. Um, and they have an in-world reason, but it's also the meta-textual engagement of knowing, like, yeah, that's a totally different actor. Which, side note, talking about emotional engagement this show, like, that particular episode, the way it's ending is so emotionally, like, just heart-rending. And then they have that scene show up where he comes and he's recast. And I'm laughing while I'm, like, t- choking up. Yeah. So my body doesn't know what to do. <laughs> And I'm just one of those people where when I'm watching something or reading something or whatever, I really like that bodily confusion. That's typically why like my favorite movies of each year are going to be the ones that really like totally throw me off. Not in the sense of I've never seen it before, but more in the sense of like, maybe I hate it for like half the runtime and then something happens and it totally recontextualizes it. Um, And that episode when Quicksilver is introduced is like, the man, the heat is mounting up the whole time, but then the ending isn't some sort of tragic climax. It's a joke. <laughs> like that was so funny. Do, to me. do you want to get into the Evan Peters like controversy and everything about it, that? Oh, I don't know if there's. I didn't know there was uh, any controversy because well, I'm not just online. So, so at yeah, all. here's here's an interesting thing between Melvin and I, which is that um, he was not on the internet while the show was coming out, so he was not oh, privy yeah. to the the constant fan theories. And it's interesting that this is one of the shows I think illustrates a disparity between artist intention and audience engagement, where the minute this stuff is introduced, because they're playing with big stuff from the comics, you know, uh, the whole division comic series written by Tom King, if I remember correctly. And then all the stuff with like Wanda where, uh, with the Scarlet Witch does like House of M and all these things. Those are big event comics. And that's all the stuff they're drawing from. So instantly, people are starting to go like, "Is this how they introduce mutants in the MCU? Is this oh, how they yeah, do all yeah, this stuff?" Oh yeah, yeah, because that's that's right. He's not just recast, but he's also the same character that he was in the X Men right. movies. So they bring um, in he's the same actor, which <laughs> he's same know. actor who's also the same. And then the one there's a joke later on too in that uh, Halloween episode because Vision's like, "Where are all the kids?" So then Wanda's like. Oh, uh, that's right. <laughs> it brings all the kids the next episode. There's hundreds of them. Um, 
they make a joke where he he uses a curse word, the K-A curse word, but then he's also cast in. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how else to say it without right. saying it. So um, kick butt. I'll say that. He's in kick like butt. Like that Texas movie <laughs> sign where they just put the movies kick butt. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, was that true? Yeah. So, so there are some marquees and some much the same more conservative areas that just said kick butt is the name of the movie. Kick butt. <laughs> <laughs> it makes so it so funny. much funnier. It's like a youth pastor made the sign. Could you imagine yeah. if that's what it was like? That was the actual movie. It was just called Kick Butt. <laughs> or maybe that's the asylum version. I don't know. But um, but yeah, the my wife lost it when he did that too, because she she totally picked up on that. But it's like those are all jokes you just don't know if you don't like know things, I guess. And that's not to undermine your experience if you're not as quote unquote educated and geek stuff, because maybe that's better off for you. If you don't have no, no a comprehensive knowledge of uh, overpriced pieces of paper with a bunch right. of color on them, but um, which really you're just paying for the ink half the time for comics anyway. But it, it does mean that I think if you have a that background knowledge, it just makes it much more, yeah, more stimulating and more engaging. And the entire show is just that it is just, uh, it never really stopped doing that to me. Uh, I kept feeling like it was consistent with being intelligent, being smart, being clever, being emotional, even to like Agatha's reveal, like <laughs> just, just the line. And I killed the dog too. Is like <laughs> the, the one time someone kills a dog in a movie, but I'm laughing about it. <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> like that is so awesome. <laughs> it's, so yeah, I love WandaVision. It was it was my number one uh, for the year. I've seen about, I think, 21 or maybe like 16 things this year. I've been slacking but um, fr- from this year. And that was my number one for a bit. And I'm it's not anymore. And we'll probably talk about why very soon in an episode. But I don't want to give that away because also we might not do it. I don't know. It really depends on the schedule. Oh, yeah, but um, yeah, it's just I, I thought it was powerful. I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was exciting. I thought it was engaging. I remember like if I had to go on a bathroom break, but so you're like, you're pausing the show, my wife and I, cause we're binging it. Uh, my wife and I would just talk about it before pressing play again, <laughs> because we're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and that's just really fun to do. And so there was just a lot of fun experience to it, but, but you, you said you watched it was did you watch it week to week because yeah, i know I you were online yeah so okay what well, was it good week to week or? yeah so you know i know i just i just made a reference to the to the difference between artist intention and the way right. fans interact with something right, so right. i will say this was a great show for a week to week format because every week you're coming up with new fan theories you're like trying to figure out like who is this person what's going on it's great you know do you, mm-hmm. it's a collective mystery that everyone's engaging in at the same time and so if you're on like Twitter or the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, Reddit uh, board, or if you're um, if you're in Facebook groups, or if you have like if you're, you're on a if you have like a a group of friends, if you have friends, <laughs> really, chat group you're in, yeah. <laughs> like flesh and blood friends that you can talk to you <laughs> yeah. about the show, or if you're in um, what do you call? I, I just like the name of it, like a coterie. <laughs> you have a, co- <laughs> a Marvel coterie. <laughs> Oh gosh, I'm getting old. I just blanked on the name of something. What do you call it? It's a uh, describe it. Gilded is the Microsoft version of it, which oh, is like a Slack channel or a Discord channel. Yeah, or Discord like... server, Slack channel. I don't know if you want to leave in that long journey we just took to remember the word Discord. It's about um, the journey, not the destination. <laughs> 
but like, yeah, if you're in all that and you're talking to your friends and they're just like, you know, my I have friends are like, oh, I definitely think this is all nightmares doing where nightmare is trapping her in her own, what's really a nightmare. Or they think it's Mephisto doing this, or they think such and such other character, or they think this is how they're going to bring in the midnight suns. Like ghost riders are going to show up in the last episode and like <laughs> get rid of the dark hold or something, it's you know, still Nicholas cage. It's still Nick cage. <laughs> um, and like, so that was very, really, really, really fun. The problem is, is that Marvel is not hiring necessarily comic book people. They're hiring people who are good filmmakers and good storytellers. Right. And so the there were some interviews later on with some of the people involved in the creative process behind WandaVision where they were apologizing. They were saying, like, I'm sorry, wow, that, like all this stuff that you guys wanted. We we had a story we set out to tell. And we're just sticking with that story. We're not including all of these like other crazy. That's elements. ridiculous. I know it's stupid. Like this is like D- Disney <laughs> responding to the Last Jedi, where like Daisy Ridley saying like I'm pretty sure it's just because of sexist men, which it probably kind of was. <laughs> and then like three years later, she's like, "Well, you know, it is the fans franchise. No, it's not. Right. <laughs> like it's Disney's franchise. They can still they can make it. Don't, and people don't, don't have see to them. like it. If you don't like them, don't see them. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like one of the big emblematic things about it is that Evan Peters showing up in Wanda playing Quicksilver in addition to being a fun nod to the fact he was Quicksilver in the Fox films is a lot of people are like this is it this is the first piece of the multiverse they're bringing in the X-Men characters from the Fox movies we're totally gonna get you know James McAvoy Michael Fassbender next you know and so some people have some fun he's like what if Wanda's powers are that she's creating things what if she's pulling them from other alternate dimensions so like she's not making anything she's just pulling them from somewhere else in the multiverse you know which is a fun idea and all this stuff. And so when it's revealed that, no, this is actually a really clever way to actually misguide the audience. Because like, if they had had like, I don't know, some other actor show up as Quicksilver, everyone's like, that's not him. That's not Quicksilver. We know it's Aaron Taylor Johnson, you know. But the fact that it's Evan Peters means that a good portion of the audience is legitimately like, doesn't know who this person is. And right. they're willing to believe it actually is Quicksilver. So it's actually really clever. Um, but the problem is it's that... It's too smart, dude. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you just got to... I was holding back when I was saying you can watch it without being, you know, geeky and, you know, have a lot of information, but I'm going to let loose, man. It's It's just too smart. It's It's because you were even saying it. You were saying that when the show started, people were frustrated that it was like a sitcom, but that was the best part of the show. For two episodes, (laughs) it's just a straight sitcom with 30 seconds of like weird things thrown in. I would have had a season of that. That would have been great. Like it was. It was it wasn't fun. Even, it wasn't even a bad sitcom. Yeah, it was really good. Like, just every joke was so funny. What do I do here? <laughs> like, it's just like, that's the best part. Oh, well, you crunch numbers, but for what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought I thought that stuff was charming. You know? You're like a robot. I most certainly am not. <laughs> like, this is this all perfect stuff, dude. Yeah, that was a straight, Um, what do you call it? That was a straight up, like, a bewitched type of joke, you know? <laughs> Where like someone will make an offhand comment about like the supernatural nature of something and low characters a little oblivious gets a little too defensive, you know, it's that's classic. <laughs> yeah, I can't even get it. So like the the guy he's talking to in that scene was a character in Agents of Shield, like the actor showed up. And in the Agents of Shield, he played somebody who worked at like a weird company that created like virtual reality stuff. So everyone's like, is this how they're gonna bring Agents of Shield into the MCU? Cause then there's a thing with like the blue soap that Hydra uses. And there's a there's a thing in Ages of Shield where Hydra's creating like a blue mind control soap, you know. So like, there's all this stuff where like, so there's like fans who want it to be multiverse, fans who want it to tie up the TV shows, and it's none of that. They're just there's a specific story they're telling, and you know, nerds who got their hopes up, not 
without reason. I'm not sitting here saying like you're dumb for wanting right, things. Sure, they're not wrong for getting excited. But at the same time, like it's not it's not the show's fault if it's not what you wanted. Like as the thing that they set out to do, I think it's really successful in that. And there's tons of stuff they do later on that I really like. Um, like I like the stuff with Agatha Harkness as a villain. I thought that was awesome. It, that <laughs> like, stuff was great. So I did not expect a show that was like some sort of like other world annihilation slash stalker style, like controlled universe plus science fiction to then also go witches. Like that was so, <laughs> it's just, just all of it's shoved into there. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the fun of comic book stuff. Like you can have, there's canonically in Marvel Comics everything. You can have zombies, you can have vampires, you can have werewolves, you've got aliens, you have magic, you have high technology. Like you can do anything. And maybe that's the fun of it, you know? And when they start getting into Wanda's backstory, where they establish that as a child, her family in a war torn Sokovia um, would watch bootleg dvds and vhs tapes of like american sitcoms and that's the life that she <laughs> fantasized about and that's why when she creates an ideal world with vision that's what she creates um that stuff is amazing that stuff really like really like not, it just just work because the acting is really good it works because it's a relatable story a real thing that happens all around the world and it right. happens you know i remember reading about um when they brought some of the um survivors of the the uh, the bombings in World War II from Japan, some of the people they brought over to America, like I, it was some sort of like tour or some sort of something or other. It was, it's in a book called The Bomb, which I read in middle school. But um, they talk about how some of the women were asking, like, where are the cowboys? And <laughs> this is like the 1950s, 1960s. Right. Yeah. Um, but like that's the penetration of American pop culture worldwide. And then in the end, and we can get, I think the ending deserves kind of its own little section here, but um, and then we get at the end, the ending of it, like that is such a put together satisfying arc that I think anything else would have been distracting from that. It like if Dr. Yeah, Strange you're... shows up and he's like fighting, like he's like fighting demons or something right. like you lose something in that. Like if, if Robbie Reyes, you know, Gabriel Luna shows up with to get the, the dark hold, um, which is in this show, the dark hold shows up. It's a different prop than they used in the television shows which is the first nail in the coffin of the shared continuity that I've been holding on to for so long because the dark holds an age of shield and the runaways and it's the, the book looks different, but whatever. Um, like, yeah, that then it becomes just a bunch of nerd gar- like garbage that's just thrown together that it's more about fan service than telling a cohesive narrative, which I'll choose a cohesive narrative over just a giant continuity mess any day. So absolutely. I think like they almost pushed it with cataract to be introducing too much to pull away from the story. So people listening, Cataract is the basically like the anti-vision. <laughs> and and he was super cool because the way that they fight is they just have a conversation. Yes. <laughs> like, which and I was, was like, awesome. this is great. Like, this is exactly what I expect two intelligent, wildly intelligent beings to to fight is at some point they're like, why why fight <laughs> like let's just talk like let's just do wits and it it cleverly introduces a way to stop pulling away from wanda because like i don't i mean vision is like stupidly powerful <laughs> um and wanda also is stupidly powerful in a different way but i don't know man what vision is <laughs> like wicked um dude can just like make clones of himself like it's just out of nowhere i don't know why he hasn't done it since like 
But yeah, didn't you do that in um, Ultron? I watched that once in theaters and was disappointed. So I vaguely forget it. Character power is so inconsistent. And Who like, knows anymore? They know that. That's why they spent like. That's why they made a whole miniseries just to give Scarlet Witch or Scarlet Witch powers. Yeah. Because, like, she was so depowered in the movies compared They're to They're like, her. oh, right, we never named you know? her. Like, we're going to do that. <laughs> Which is fine. I, I love the way that they brought in the moniker. Like, that's totally yeah. acceptable to me. And I'd be remiss if we didn't mention that her children essentially are Wiccan and Speed as who are her children in the comics. They Even right. in the Halloween episode, which is super fun, they give everyone their classic costumes. Evan Peters wears their traditional Quicksilver costume. Uh, Wanda wears a Sokovian fortune teller costume, which is just her Scarlet Witch costume. And then Wicked and Speed look like Wicked and Speed from the comics. So that stuff's super fun. So um, the kid actors were really good in this. They act yeah, like they children, were. which we're going to get into that um, a little bit in one of my recommendations, but which we, we talk about a great kid actor. But um, yeah, like I think the kid actors do a great job of being children. So that like in the end, when we get to the big grand finale, it actually like feels like a parent saying goodbye to their children, yeah. which is sometimes hard to pull off. But and and audience members saying goodbye to characters as opposed to just like right, yeah. uh plot foils <laughs> to make bad things happen. <laughs> do you do you want to do you want to get into the ending? I I'm actually curious what in particular you wanted to get into about the ending. Like just the I just think it, tragedy of it, like just the emotional strength of it or so yeah we're getting so first off, just to get put the get out of the way, there is a bit of a bit of a I, th- I guess you call it controversy. There's been discourse, let's say. So, because what happens in the ending is that Wanda wins. She beats Agatha Harkness. And I actually think they do a pretty good job giving her kind of a clever way to be her villain. Where, But in the end, it's established in the show that, A, all the people in the town are real human beings that she is mind controlling. And then they go so far as to say that they basically are in a waking nightmare at all times and they're in agony and pain. Um, and there are people who have family members who don't know what, hap- what happened to them. So at all hours of the day, they're in constant suffering as a result of what Wanda is doing, which is fundamentally as tragic as it is, what she's doing is selfish. She is trying to um, create a fake world to live in with her fake husband and fake children that she's essentially created. Um, and she, to do so, she's sacrificing the well-being of others. That is a fundamentally not good thing. You know, give you can give her a mountain of of relatable, understandable motivation of, of it. But what you've done is made a compelling villain, not a great hero, which is all true. And Agatha Harkness just happens to be in that position of being an even worse villain. So by right, de facto, taking advantage of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and killed a dog <laughs> and she killed a dog and she's apparently killed a bunch of other people throughout history, uh, including the other <laughs> sucking their life force. Yeah. Yeah. It, to stay young, she's stealing life force of people. Except the dog. She didn't suck the dog's life force. That she just given her away. So she just broke its neck or something like way worse. Yeah. Like, just a total malicious killing. So yeah, which is a great way to get turn an audience against somebody is to get them to kill, kill it. But keep an eye out for that. It's called the <laughs> kick the cat, save the cat uh, trope. Right. So in the end, she you know, defeats the villain. She, she does the mind control thing to the villain where she's like permanently, um agatha her neighbor she like traps her in that role um and then she just wanted just leaves at the end you know and so the some people online were saying well, it's like, like the matrix too doesn't she like fly away she flies away like neo <laughs> yeah. just like neo <laughs> that's right yeah so what what the internet is debating about is to what extent should want to be punished for her actions because she has done a bunch of terrible things by any no matter what you know what what measurement you're using to decide good or bad behavior she's doing a lot of bad behavior 
And so there's this discourse about whether or not she should be punished for what she's doing. I completely disagree with the idea that it's up. It's the, it is, is not a movie or television show's job to punish characters for you. Uh, nor is it the job of any work of art to spoon feed you the type of morality that you're looking for or the resolution that you're looking for. <laughs> Can I just like take that as a quote and put it into Falcon and Winter Soldier? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, let's uh, <laughs> Bazinga. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get into that. Um, it is, you know, it's a movie television. Their only job is to tell the story that they're telling, you know, which it, it's this whole thing. WandaVision is a thing. It's just all these different people trying to like get the show to be something they want it to be. You know, for some people, they want it to be this big, you know, convergence of all these fan theories. They want to introduce all these weird characters. They want to bring in the Fox X-Men universe. They want to bring mutants in the MCU. They wanted to do this or that. They want to tie Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to the main continuity, which the show never set out to you in the first place. And then there's Nor people- it doesn't sound like people of those kinds really have an end goal other than they're all together. They just want to see everyone holding hands and they right. want Kevin Feige to come out and pat, you know, cloak and dagger on the head and be like, this is a good show. It'll this just show produce counts. the Florpus. <laughs> you ever see the Invader Zim movie on Netflix? No, I have not yet. The no. Zim's plan is to have every single kid in the on the entire planet hold hands. <laughs> because then he uses them to make like a uh, a transportation like device or something. And so there's like scenes where like kids are like standing at a volcano with the pit in the middle and they're just sort of looking at each other like, how do we reach each other's hands? Uh, that's that's <laughs> what the that's what the movie Us was about in the end. Um <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would have loved that if if uh Peel decided like <laughs> let's show them like in like a body of water, <laughs> like just like a moat or something, <laughs> crocodiles holding hands with them. <laughs> So that's what these people want the Marvel Cinematic Universe to be. Yeah. They want all these characters to hold hands and like go on parties. But I figure you could just read fan fiction if that's what you want. I mean, it's its its own. I swear we need to do an episode on this someday because I have my own feelings on that on the whole mess. But and then, the, but yeah, conversely, you have people who just they like, want the show to explicitly punish all the bad characters for what they do, which I don't think they need to do because I think the show, A, does a really good job of illustrating that what she's doing is wrong. And it doesn't need to have someone come out and lecture her or, you know, put her in timeout or whatever reason want, want to happen. There doesn't need to be a scene where she like a bunch of like some some character lectures her like like another character lectures senators in another. <laughs> suit. Um. You're giving away our next episode. Um, <laughs> it, you don't you don't need that. I think th- the actual text of the show clearly shows that what she does is wrong. You know, yes, you know, she does give up a lot in order to do the right thing in the end. That's true. But we don't need that necessarily. Like, we don't, you know, we don't need Dr. Strange to come out and, like, zap her with a laser or something, you know. That's, like a squirt bottle, like you use with yeah, a cat. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, she's a cat that needs to get off the couch and stop mind-controlling people, you know. It's, she. she's already suffering because she gave up the only thing she cares about. And that her self-exile is its own form of, like, I wouldn't say punishment, but the show is clearly illustrating that what she's done is isolate herself from the rest of the world. And I think that accomplishes what they're trying to do just as well. So, but as far as the ending goes, um, just to, just to talk about it. So like, there's a big punch him up. Um, all the, there's a whole thing with the sword agents where the like sword agents are trying to do something bad. Or they point guns at kids, they point guns at kids, like an ET, <laughs> you know, um, we haven't mentioned them, but there's some great side characters in the show. You know, you have Jimmy Woo, um, you have Kat Dennings is actually good as Darcy in this. I don't typically like the Darcy character. I don't think it's Kat Dennings. 
And uh, congratulations on a recent engagement to Andrew WK of all people. Um, <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> but, you know, and Jimmy Woo is a great character um, and all that stuff. And then there's a bad sword agent that they. Oh, that's right. Know. Asian Jim. I remember. Yeah. Like, you, oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> Hats off for not seeing race. As yeah, as most people remember. It's funny that like he's in literally one scene of that show, <laughs> but it's like one of the things people like most remember him for. You it's know? the opening stinger or whatever it's called. Yeah. I don't. And it's like it's not. It's not even relevant to the episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Yeah. There's. There's. But the main meat and potatoes of it is that eventually, um, they. Wanda realizes that she has to let this reality go. Um, and there's two things that happen that I think really are wonderful, which is one is that she says goodbye to her children. And the way they do it is they literally tuck their two kids into bed as they wait to watch the end of the world hit them. Cause the big force field surrounding the town is closing in on them, signifying the end where her children will disappear into the ether somewhere. And it's just an absolutely heartbreaking, terrible scene because <laughs> children dying is never not sad. Um, but in this case, like she is making a conscious decision to, just, to give them up, uh, which is in his own way is somewhat heroic and also pretty sad. And the other thing is that she has a scene where she says goodbye to Vision. And one thing I didn't get to mention is that the writing for Vision is pretty sharp. Like, Super freaking good. His, yeah. like, his basic like send off monologue, his soliloquy is so good <laughs> it like it gives you hope as the audience member <laughs> like, oh my gosh i just went through a whole year where i had no hope and i just i just tasted it again <laughs> thank you paul bettany um it's, it's insane it's i don't know if paul bettany had input or if the writers they have were just that good but like his line delivery throughout the entire season is so on point and the writing for him is so Good. He's got really good micro expressions throughout the whole thing. I mean, even the Halloween episode when it's like he knows he's he's not supposed he knows something's up and he knows Wanda's in control of it and he's just like passive aggressive. But it's like not without being like I don't know, it's like he's still being a supportive husband, <laughs> but like just an upset supporting husband. And it's just it's yeah, he's He's killing it, man. It's so good. Yeah, he's, he's tremendous. He's tremendous for the entire for the entirety of it. And it's really good. And so he the the culmination of this is he and Wanda have the conversation and she asked he asked her, like, what am I? <laughs> like what like the, which is one of the running mysteries. And she doesn't have a direct answer. She doesn't know for sure. Like, she's not sure how he's able to exist. Um she actually she they smartly have her go through and mention all of the different possible abilities. She says, like, you know, you're the piece of the Mind Stone that's in me. You're my memories. You're my sad. Like, she, she mentions, beautifully mentions all these things that it could be. But it because it's not really important. Like, the actual, like, which is something I wish fans would hold on to more. Like, the actual fully thought out explanation for what's happening doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter in this moment. What matters is that she is losing him all over again. Right. And she he is losing her all over again. And there, right. there's this bit of hope that they may be reconnected. Because... The reality is, yeah, the, the fact that they're there together within universe is its own little miracle. You know, it's impo- the, the impossible has already happened. The impossible can happen again. And so her saying goodbye to Vision is this like beautiful, like wonderful um, sort of culmination of this journey where she got to live out her fantasy and she has to lose it all over again. 
And, but this time she's losing it and she's making the conscious decision to let go, you know, fulfilling the, you know, the people joke that almost every recent serious Marvel property is about grief in some way. But I think of, of all of them, this is the best one as far as how this one's it. like actually about grief. Like, I'm sorry, but like far from home, it's not really about <laughs> grief. It's about Jake Gyllenhaal hammering up. And then like Endgame, not really about grief. No. <laughs> it's about just like being a bit too long for my days. And then this one is literally like whose vision visions literally grief like that's just like yeah (laughs) every she's gone through all the steps now and grief is like a frustratingly complex emotion because when you're when you're grieving you're sad but then you're reminiscing like happy moments and times and so there's laughter amidst it there's excitement there's joy you're thinking about what you wanted and that still produces happiness in you but then grief is like but there's always this melancholy attached to it at the same time. I mean, it's the whole inside out emotions are complex kind of idea of like, you can have a core memory that's both happy and sad. You can have a core memory that's fear and gross. Like it's just totally possible to have this complex system going on. Um, so yeah, I, I, this show ends so well. It's, I just wish, I wish Marvel stuff was a bit as like just as consistent as this one. And then I also just wish this had a little better like CGI throughout it, but I guess that the whole point yeah, is that yeah, yeah. they're just going to be a little, I don't it's know. It's a little dodgy here and there, but so it goes, yeah. um, not as dodgy as Falcon, but I think that's also because this is just more <laughs> contained, uh, contained and half of the season is practical effects. And then I think even some of the episodes are shot on film. So like, it just looks great. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I think on the topic of like, should the characters be punished? Because I really liked, I like that question. I think it's an interesting question because I think there's this fascination with like, justice is like a clearly hot topic right now. And frankly, it kind of always has been. It's just now like a, a much louder topic. And how justice is handled is also becoming a louder topic because people are very disillusioned with justice, whether you're from the United States or in different countries, especially because you're being onslaughted with so much information and so much injustice uh, regarding information that you're receiving that it's really hard to recognize like where's accountability from. And so it doesn't surprise me that people would be like, well, now that we found out Scarlet Witch is the one who's culpable and not, what is it? You said like nightmare or some of these other characters. Yeah. That nightmare. Don't Mephisto, know exist at all. Despair. You know, all the fear lords. The total sidebar. The only <laughs> extended comic information I want is I just want Dick bat. I want Dick Grayson, Batman to be on the silver screen somehow. That's the only extended like comic book information I have. And that's the only one that I will like, I guess, ride or die for is because <laughs> it's just such some really compelling storytelling there. I mean, yeah, we've gotten, we've gotten, yeah, we've gotten Bruce Wayne, Batman. I don't know how many times. Too many times. So, which I mean, he's a great character. I'm not, oh, I'm, yeah, ba- I'm a Batman great. guy. As we've established, but I, think, but. I think I'm ready though to see Dick Grayson wear the cowl. Because there's so much cool stuff when you. Yeah, kinda... but if you do that, then you can't. You do Night Nightwing is like a fan favorite character that I think Nightwing could be huge for them if they did it right. Like he's just cool Batman. Then make an extended series where it's Bruce Wayne. Then Bruce Wayne is teleported into the past somehow. <laughs> Dick Grayson comes in. He was Nightwing before. Oh, by the way, 
Bruce Wayne's son is back. Here's this kid who's 11 years old, knows how to murder people, take care of them. <laughs> like, Damian Wayne. Damian Wayne. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's my, he's such a good Robin. Um, he's my wife and I's favorite Robin, but we should oh, okay. get back to one. <laughs> I could totally geek, geek out about this particular section of Batman lore, but <laughs> we'll save that for Robert Pattinson. Anyways. I think what's frustrating is that like if you did have there was there's safety and an uh, there's safety and another villain taking the place of the characters in 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 basically being your antagonist. I mean, that's why like some criticism for Civil War is that like there's really no antagonist. They're just arguing and then they just like have like a fight that's the equivalent of kids fighting in middle school where like <laughs> give it a weekend they'll be best friends again. So what's the point? This is like the first show where it's like actually like, oh, like, no, it's pretty clear that your hero is the bad guy. What are we supposed to do with that? And I think that's, I think sometimes people are frustrated with having to wrestle with the fact that everyone is capable of doing terrible things and has done terrible things. Because when you kind of reveal horrible things that go on in people's lives or the things that they've done, or even the things that they've contributed to, especially as people are recognizing systematic problems, and you recognize that if there's a whole system that can be faulty, and you're a part of that system, then you've contributed to that problem, then it's hard to recognize where culpability starts, where accountability starts. And of course, when you get to the end of it, and you see that everyone like, as Christians recognizing that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God and we've all sinned before him, then it almost emphasizes like none of us can actually dish out justice appropriately because we're all <laughs> deserving of justice and and not in the sense that like we get justice, but more that justice would be bearing down upon us. Um, it's a complicated thing. And I would hope to think that a lot of people watching this would recognize that the show isn't really about that. <laughs> I think it's part of it, but I think the show is more about like how people respond, respond to grief, um, and more about compassion. And the reason I say that is because like Wanda creates her own reality out of her grief because she would rather live in a world where vision existed and then subsequently this idyllic world, then live in the world where vision doesn't exist, where she can't <laughs> she can't build upon the property that vision bought them to live in. Like that is really sad. <laughs> that leads people to alcoholism, where they can live in a different world where they're so inundated with the way alcohol affects the body that they never spend time thinking about the fact that their spouse is dead. Or other things. But the thing about trying to throw yourself into like an alternative reality, so like a reality where you don't feel these pains or a reality where I guess you're, you can resurrect your spouse with magical powers, is you're not going to be compatible with reality, which also means you're going to be negatively affecting other people. It's so bizarre to, to compare Wanda using magical powers to alcoholism, but I think it works in terms of grief because if you're an alcoholic, you're going to be causing, I don't really want to say it that way because that's so giving a person a title. That's so like wrong. That's so boomer of me. Um, if you are coping with alcohol to resolve the reality you don't want to live in, then you might get into an accident and kill somebody. You might be a real jerk to your friends. You might be that one guy at the party that people don't want you to come over because you you basically make everything your problem. Um, you're you're going to become so disruptive and self-destructive that it's going to have everything come after you. 
And it's going to also at some point, like someone might take advantage of that. And I don't think I need to exactly go back and explain all the pieces where WandaVision explaining uh, artistically how grief functions to, to, to do that. Um, at the bare minimum, I'll throw some crumbs and say Agnes is the one who takes advantage of someone in their grief. I don't think the show's about <laughs> let's let's put Scarlet Witch in jail. <laughs> like this is ridiculous. The show is about compassion. Like it makes t- it it's not right what she does. But the reason my heart aches when she's giving them wedding rings in the first episode is because I'm hurting with her. Like, this is what she wants. This is what I want for her. <laughs> like, I think she's right. like, that was what, what am I, I did not expect that in infinity war that they were going to make them have a romance at all. Cause I don't think it was really set up, <laughs> but then it ended up becoming such a strong narrative point. And then I was totally sold on like, great. I love this. Let's, let's, let's ride this wave. And so if I didn't, if if I watched this thinking, like even knowing like, oh, this is probably all her doing and everyone's in some sort of like basically cube, like this is literally cube except Wanda's version. If I just watched it going like, yeah, but she's the bad guy, then I'm going to miss out on all. First off, a lot of a lot of what makes the show really good. And then I also think I'd be missing out on something really valuable to learn. And that's compassion and care. Like I don't. I, I'm sure she'll in some way pay for what she's done because literally Zemo exists to make the Avengers pay for what they did in Jacovia because that's what happens when you basically believe in non-realities, whether it's giving into alcoholism or it's just you're overworking and now your wife misses you and basically is a widow because you're at work all the time. Like, I'm sorry, but that's going to have consequences. It's going to suck, but it's just that's what's going to happen. But also... There's always time to come back and do the right thing. And that can help begin alleviating those consequences and problems. Um, it also permits grace to take place. And grace is also something that I think is a patient experience. And this show is pretty long. And I think it kind of emphasizes that there can be a, a, well, I don't know. I mean, there isn't really a position in which the people have the opportunity to, to change things, but I think Vision being as powerful as he is and aware of things is expressing a form of grace to basically just be like, Wanda, please, for the love of all that's holy, just let these people go. <laughs> like, Because he's not, he's not like fighting her or anything. It's just he's just waiting for her to do the right thing. That's an interesting conversation, but I'm also glad to have missed out on it, which is most cases with the internet. So, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, love. I love the show. I look forward to rewatching it. I'm glad that it's sort of both narratively contained, but also very much not connected to anything else in the MCU. It's well. almost more of just a. I mean, I know it is, but it really feels more like just an exercise in Wanda's powers, which is kind of what I miss <laughs> with superhero movies, where it's just like can we just like watch a movie where we get to see them do cool things because they do things that I can't like, that's like for as much as Venom is a horrible movie. Like that's kind of what makes it interesting is that it just has the same energy of like, yeah, but what if you had this cool parasite that did things? Awesome. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> like the, <laughs> the fundamental wish fulfillment that superheroes yeah. kind of were designed to fulfill instead of being this like massive tentpole. I got to sell things like, I don't know. It's just 
It's a little tiresome. It's very cumbersome. So yeah, it's been it's been apparently it's been officially confirmed that there's not gonna be a season two of WandaVision. Thank is, goodness. Good. I know I saw like I think I saw something that was like Feige did, was being like coy. And I'm like, dude, just say no. <laughs> just, why would how would you do another season? This is weird. Well, yeah, I think some people would see that though as like, oh, we're not gonna do this. We're gonna we are if we are gonna do another season, that confirms that like Wanda would survive whatever events happen in the next subsequent films she's slated to be in which is kind of the downside of this like big you know uh synergistic company where like characters like it's already been confirmed that dr strange is in doctor like he's a doctor Strange, but he's also confirmed to be in the new spider-man movie and wanda's confirmed to be in new doctor strange movie so like it's sort of like the flashback to um feige saying we'd take risks we killed half of our characters in infinity war buddy <laughs> you have them contracted for like six more movies they're not dead well, when aaron taylor johnson was contracted for like three or four movies and then they just killed them off in age ultron so i mean you know it's more like maybe he was an extra <laughs> like just well, like, it's like in the background it's one of those things where they like, like where's waldo they're contracted like in case they need them back for some reason like okay like the next movie we're gonna have flashback sequences so we're gonna need aaron taylor johnson back you know or something um but i mean apparently these things are not as set in stone as we think because like early drafts of like the first avengers movie like red skull was going to be a villain you know abomination was going to appear you know age ultron apparently they also abomination was like yeah, was he, maybe going to be trying to come back he's, he's going to be in she hawk apparently but yeah all right buddy <laughs> <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yeah so uh yeah overall i really enjoyed wandavision i it was a breath of fresh air it reinvigorated my faith in the franchise because me too like, yeah, there's various things that made me kind of jaded towards the MCU as time goes on. Um, but this was like, OK, like if more things are like this, you know, and like the, you know, what we've seen from Loki so far is pretty promising. Um, and in general, I think these characters work better in short form storytelling. I don't think movies give them enough time, I think. But I think like some television shows go on for far too long. But yep. This is a good sweet spot to get a complete story out of them. So I really enjoyed WandaVision. I love the acting. I love the costumes and sets. Um, and I just, it, you know, and it, not all of these movies get some sort of emotional reaction out of me. You know, I didn't feel a ton of emotion watching Far From Home or Thor 2 or Captain Marvel or The Incredible Hulk. But this one got uh, some emotion, some emotional uh, reactions out of me, which is more I can say about some of them. So thumbs up. Uh, what would you recommend for some thumbs up as we're closing out in the episode? What you got for us? What? what? Our recommendations. Man. Oh, rec- <laughs> it was a rough transition. Like, what you- it was there. I give it two thumbs up. Um, <laughs> uh, so like I said, I'm going to try and do a biblical commentary recommendation along with a general recommendation for the biblical commentary. Uh, my pastor and I were doing a Galatian series at our church um, where he, he's doing the lion's share of the preaching for it, but we work together, uh, you know, coming up with outlines and things. And one of the best uh, commentaries for it comes from the Reformed Commentary series. So Philip Ryken's Galatians commentary, it, it hits that perfect middle ground between being pastorally practical, uh, but being very academic and scholarly in nature. He digs into a lot of the original language, but also like the way he formats the commentary, which is something I'll bring up a lot is like how I feel about commentary formatting. It's very readable. I kind of wish it was more verse by verse because that's my preference in reading a commentary. Um, but the way he summarizes different sections and is able to simultaneously provide direct application 
of the scripture to modern day settings, as well as how to preach and teach them, uh, along with how he um, just really digs into the content of it. it. To me, like that's the the best commentaries are the ones that balance both. And so that is my recommendation for a commentary is Riken's Galatians commentary. He spells his name R Y K E N. But for a more general recommendation, I'm going to recommend a book. Um, it is called Requiem for a Plastic Bag, if I'm remembering that. Yeah, uh, Requiem for a Paper Bag. My apologies. Um, it is a book adaptation of a website, which I don't know if you remember when that was kind of more of a thing. Like there were like three or four different Chuck Norris facts books that were <laughs> released at one point. Interesting. The, those were the days. Uh, but Requiem for a Paper Bag is uh, inspired by the Found Anthology website. And so what it is is that the Found website, as well, they also have an Instagram and Twitter account and Facebook page, I believe, uh, is that just people just post different things they find. They find pieces of paper, find item, found items, and they often have little interesting stories uh, attached to them. That's just something I find fascinating. However, for the book, they included a lot of celebrity uh, contributions. You get to hear Seth Rogen talk about the favorite thing he found. Patton Oswald has a funny story about finding someone's wallet and how weirdly angry the person was when he tried to return it. Uh, my my favorite one is a uh, Chuck Klosterman who wrote, you know, he wrote um, killing yourself to live sex, drugs, and cocoa puffs and a bunch of other books. I'm a big fan of his. He interestingly wrote about his favorite entry in the, on the found website where he found someone's really bizarre. Um, they made like their own budget for a month and the budget included like $200 a month for crack or something. Um, <laughs> okay. a lot, but then also like $60 for phone, $60 for internet. And so he has a great thing writing up about, the person who would make this list. And it's really fascinating. <laughs> that is an interesting sort of like meditation. Like <laughs> that's like the Twitter post. That's like, it has a budget and then it's like candles, $1,200 for candles or something. <laughs> How do I fix my budget? Stop buying candles. No. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's a whole book of those. It's a little older. I think the book's about 10 years old now. Uh, you can find it used for like a dollar online or something. It's a good quick read. Each of the entries is only like one or two pages. Uh, and the quality is obviously very hit or miss, but it's it's a great coffee table book. I find stuff like this really interesting as it's this great snapshots into people's lives and uh, otherwise ways you wouldn't otherwise you know get to interact with these people, so to speak. So it's a great book. I find it, I got it for like really cheap at a used bookstore. I'm looking right now on like Amazon, it's really cheap. So Requiem for a Paper Bag. My recommendation is going to be a podcast episode. In fact, I think my next one will also be a podcast. But um, this particular episode is from the Ezra Klein show. It's a used to do used to work with Vox, but now he's doing New York Times opinion. Um, and the particular episode is called "Is AI the Problem or Are We?" It is. It is really good. Um, this this is just like a, I, I know some people probably. <laughs> A particular group of people find Ezra Klein very frustrating. Um, but what I like about his podcast, regu- I've been listening to it for a very long time. What I like about his podcast is that he's usually pretty patient with journalism as a medium in the sense that like, he's very aware that he could be making mistakes and then also like pretty quick to respond to his mistakes in a very like, yeah, that was a bad call or stuff like that. Um, so it makes a lot of his discussions really interesting because he's much more not just um, – investigative of like culture, but introspective of himself. Um, anyways, this particular episode, he, I forget the guest name, but they're talking about AI and they're talking about sort of like how AI functions as not just like a creation that's going to, um, 
it, one of the goals is to, of course, like have it be able to take care of things by itself, but also as like an image of people. And so like people who listen to a lot of AI discussions know that like AIs aren't unbiased. They carry the biases of people, but it's often not as uh, obvious. So for instance, um, in this particular episode, they talk about like things like how AIs are developed. And so I, I have three examples that not just develop, but also like effects of them. So I'll just give like three things from the episode, but they, t- they cover a lot. One thing is that um, they talk about how like there was a development of a particular like facial recognition AI, but the way that they were able to, to have this AI learn faces in a, in an inexpensive way is they just use newspaper photos but if they if when they had it learn how to recognize faces from these free newspaper photos if you looked at the data that the newspaper that they collected from the newspapers it really wasn't good at recognizing faces it was actually a really efficient tool for recognizing George W Bush's face and the reason is because there were more photos of George W Bush in newspapers than there were black women in the entire data collected set. And so two things you get from that is one, (laughs) it's not actually a good AI for facial recognition. It's just a where is George W. Bush finder? I get that app. Like if you made that, if you made that on like an app, it's <laughs> a that. really interesting app, isn't it? <laughs> and it's just like, you could like use microtransactions to buy shoes or something. <laughs> just, but um, that's such a dated, like very hard <laughs> reference. Like, oh man. But if you're running for the daily show in like 2005, oh man, <laughs> they would have loved that. Show. <laughs> exactly. That one would have been just so landed, dude. Yeah. Um, come on, SNL, hire me six years ago ago uh or 16 years ago uh but uh then but it shows like there's a bias against like how this data collection doesn't know how to read black women at all um the second example that they want one of them that they talk about is how like a self-driving car killed somebody um the problem that i had was that like the ai in the self-driving car recognized this was i think a self-driving uber um it could recognize bikes and so it would tailor how to drive near bikers it could recognize walkers but it could not recognize walkers who walk their bikes and this particular Uh, situation was that the ai first would recognize there's a bike so it would drive one way but then it would go there's a person so it would drive differently but then the ai would go no but i'm pretty sure there's a bike and so then it just couldn't make up its mind so i guess it just decided to kill the person um, and so like one of the things that they just like decided it's so bad, but like one of the things they realized was like, these are AIs that like people often are like Skynet, Skynet, we're not there yet, but it's like, no, you're actually creating AIs that now have fatal consequences. Who's responsible for that? And then the last thing they also talk about is sort of like, if you're a sci-fi nerd, um, you'll like this particular part of the discussion. They talk about AIs and how like, um, systems of AI are being given a rewards based system for like for advancing themselves and that's not always beneficial um the they constantly reference the um i believe it's the magician's apprentice or the i don't know magician's nephew the not the The sorcerer's apprentice sorcerer's apprentice is that the one with the broom yeah 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 they keep referencing the the how like if you give this broom to get a pail of water yeah that's it'll um, end up drowning you because that's all it knows it's not going to stop getting yeah. water so there, there's a nicholas cage movie called sorcerer's apprentice which is a adaptation of that sequence from the fantasia movie with mickey mouse and the brooms and the pails is it good um 
no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's char- it's a cage it's, movie. It's, I it's watch a charming it. like kids movie. I have a star in a cage. I saw it like randomly with my friend like Michelle when it came out, and I haven't thought about it since. So I'm glad I could bring that memory for you. Um, unearth that experience. It's um, not like a treasured memory. <laughs> Just like, oh yeah, I saw that. I'll, I'll treasure it for you. I will uh, surrogate treasure that memory. But um, they're basically talking about how AIs can function in a way that, like, if you're giving it a rewards-based rotation system, they can be dangerous. So, like, there's a there's a um, there's a sort of like it's not like a poem but it's sort of a warning that's sort of like a metaphor that's basically like if you make an ai that makes paper clips you're going to fill the entire universe with paper clips um and so you have to be able to create a way to make it choose to not do things but then they talk about like how there's this ai that was the rewards based success system was beat super mario brothers but at some point when it totally beat it and mastered the game it just stopped playing the game and as recline comments like it was really depressing to read that story because it effectively killed itself. It has no other purpose, has no other goal. There's no way to change it because its only goal was to beat the game. Right. So now it's just like, why would I jump over this ledge? I've already seen that already. That's not boring. That's boring to me. Um, I'm just scratching the surface of some very interesting, just, just topics that they get into that ultimately get into like the guy's talk. The, the guest he has is saying like. When they're investigating a lot of AI systems, they're almost always going into human psychology and not to how to exploit it like your favorite video game companies will, but more just like how do we create an AI that like is sort of like ethical or something? It's just great. So that's my recommendation. I've, I almost want to just listen to it again because it was so good. Um, so that's where I'm going to leave that at. You can check it out in the show notes. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.